Rejection, we're talking about rejection today. And so um, most of us have felt the sting of rejection, whether it be like in relationships. Uh, it's interesting to me, sometimes um, it's, it is a matter of um, you, you feel like your parents maybe didn't think as much of you as they did your siblings, or you never measured up. And so relationally it can happen. Or maybe your kid walked away, and, and Jesus tells a story about the prodigal son. If, if that's you, then Jesus understood that and knows what that feels like. But uh, in, in work sometimes you, you, you feel rejected. I don't know, maybe you expected a promotion or uh, you expected a raise or you got fired or, or something like that. When, when I, um, as a pastor, sometimes you, you uh, send out resumes. You know, back in the day I sent out a resume to a church. I was a pastor in a little church and I, I kind of was hoping to get another church and so I sent out this resume to a church in western Kentucky. I lived in Kentucky at the time, and it was, wasn't going to be too far. And so I was kind of excited about it, honestly. And so um, I, I got the, the phone call that said, we'd like to interview you. Now, this is always good. Uh, sometimes you send resumes, and you all may have done this before. You send out a resume, and it comes back, and it's, you know, uh, or, or they send a letter. We, we looked over your stuff, and you, you just didn't fit. You don't fit what we're looking for. That's okay. But... Uh, they wanted an interview, not just with me, but with Miriam, which is really good stuff. If you're a, applying for a job as a pastor, uh, bringing your wife along really always helps. So um, uh, Miriam and I, we loaded up the car. We drove, I think it was about three hours, two or three hours from where we were living at the time. And we drove out to western Kentucky, and we had this interview. And I really thought it went great because, I mean, I'm a catch. And uh, so I thought, this is going to be great. It's going to be great. And so uh, we had a great interview, and it was really fun. And um, about two days later, two or three days later, I got the, um, <laughs> I, I got the, you're not the one for us rejection email. It kind of made me really mad. It's like, can you not call me and tell me you're going to send me an email, a rejection email after I uh, drove all the way out there? It kind of made me mad. So now I did what some of you do, and I started stalking the church website. You know, I wanted to see if you didn't pick me, who got my job. It's kind of how I was thinking about it. So I'm, every week I'm getting online, I'm looking at their church website, because I'm, I'm really interested what chump got the job I should have gotten. And sure enough, about two months later, they put his profile up on, on the website. Mr. Smarty Man. All right, now, I, I started comparing stats, right? You know, um, how well he done, because that's what they put on there. You know, it's like, so sure enough, he did have better experience than me. Sure, I mean, I'll give him that, and he was better looking. And um, I listened to some of his sermons, and he used gooder words and uh, stuff like that. So there was that part of it. And, and other than that, though, I kind of felt like I was probably better. And then, of course, he's Billy Graham's cousin. Uh, but uh, uh, So I know what it feels like, and probably you do as well, what it feels like to be rejected. It happens in life, and it's part of who we are, and it's just life. And uh, this week, Elise tried out for some team soccer at school, and uh, there were 32 girls that tried out, and 18 girls make the team, and so there are 14 kids <laughs> someplace today that really know what it's like to feel this thing of just not quite measuring up, not being good enough, and and that's part of when you try out, you never know. And it's really a sad day when they make cuts. I hate that kind of day. And, you know, they post that wherever they post it. And, you know, at least made the team, and that was good. But 
But we always remind her, you know, somebody didn't make the team. And that's tough. you got to be nice to those people. And I said, does anybody you know? And she said, yeah, my one friend really tried hard. And we all, we either have felt rejection or we know people that have felt rejection. And so we're going to talk about it today because you'd think that Jesus would have been always welcomed and wanted everywhere he went. And it just wasn't the case. And what's really interesting about this story that we're going to talk about today is that it comes from his hometown. He was rejected by his people. And that's really, a it's kind of hard to get your mind around, honestly. Now, if you'll recall, we're kind of in this series called G-Harmony. Today we're talking about <clears throat> rejection. Let me see if I can make this work today. Yeah, talking about being rejected. And this story is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You'll recall those three have a lot of the stories the same, have a lot of the same stories, I should say, but they look at it from different perspectives. So we're going to kind of look at three different uh, tellings of this one story. Now there is kind of a debate, did Jesus go to Nazareth twice or just once? I'll, I'll get to it in just a second. But let's see what happens. Jesus has gained a reputation. He's a rabbi and rabbis are well uh, appreciated. And everybody kind of wanted their kids to be a rabbi. And so Jesus leaves Nazareth and goes and he's got a following, and people are listening to him, and he's teaching, and he's become a rabbi. And so he goes home to preach in the synagogue in a place called Nazareth. That's kind of his hometown. And, you, you, you know, we got Greer, and we got Taylors, and, and Greenville, and other places. Um, Nazareth was a little bitty place with hundreds of people, not thousands of people. So everybody would have known Jesus, everybody would have known his mama, his daddy, his brothers and sisters, and you're going to see that in this text, that everybody kind of knew who he was. Jesus returned to Nazareth, his hometown, and when he had taught there in the synagogue, everyone was amazed and said, where does he get this wisdom and the power to do miracles? And if the story ended there, it's a really nice story. Hometown boy makes good, and he comes home, and he's well-received, and that's not what happens. Because then it says in verse 55, they, then they scoffed, and they said, he's just the carpenter's son. We know Mary, his mother, and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. All his sisters live right here among us. Where did he learn these things? And they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. And then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his hometown and among his own family. And so he did only a few miracles there because of their unbelief. The word deeply offended is the word in Greek, scandalizo, which, from which we get scandalized. They were, they were appalled, frankly. And their critique was, well, we know him. How can he have this sort of power? And then there's a story, this story told in Luke... Again, there's sort of this debate. Did Jesus go preach in Nazareth twice, or did he just go one time? Well, look what happens in Luke. It's a different kind of different detail. All the people in the synagogue were furious. They were scandalized. Jumping up, they mobbed him, forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff. And the, the idea, the notion around this is they were intending to, to kill him. But he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. Now, it's interesting. Did Jesus go twice? If he went twice, uh, the scholars believe that the Luke account would have been the first 
So he goes there once and they nearly kill him. And then there's, it's likely he went back. And that's when Matthew records the same sort of detail. It could have been the same time. It really, that's irrelevant in this regard. The one word I would use for what I see here is rejection. Here he goes and he's preaching in his hometown. And they reject him. And the, the rejection was, well, we know him. And we know his mama. We know his people. Um, I'm from a little town in Kentucky. And people know, you know, kind of know us, and, and they know who we are. And, and uh, I, I became a pastor of a church near my hometown, and it was kind of funny. Um, my mom and dad became part of my church. That was great. It's always great to get to preach at your, your mom and dad uh, because they preached at you for all those years. It was like a, uh, I could hear the angels singing every time they walked in. You get to get them. Uh, it was great, you know. So I would preach to them, and I always loved it when my daddy made, uh, you know, he would say, hey, you did good, and that kind of stuff. And and here we are, and, and Jesus goes to his hometown, and, and I'm sure in that service were his mom and his brothers and his sisters and their families, and they would have been in the service. And how Jesus handled rejection is important, because their critique of him was this. Uh, isn't this the carpenter? Now, understand something. Uh, Jesus' earthly dad, Joseph, was a carpenter. If I'm a carpenter, you're going to be a carpenter. Chris back there in the booth. Chris is an electrician. Uh, if it was olden days, if Chris was an electrician, his boys would be electricians. That's kind of how it worked. And so whatever you were, my, my boys, if I hadn't had boys, would have been preachers. That's just kind of how it worked. And so uh, Jesus' uh, earthly father, Joseph, was a carpenter. And so everybody just assumed, and, and growing up, Jesus was a carpenter. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, brother? Uh, we know his people. We, we, he's from here. We know him. He, basically, they're saying he's nothing special. And so, they rejected him. And Jesus' response was perfect. Um, he said, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his hometown. Well, everywhere except in his hometown. Now, again, I, I had the, the great privilege of, of preaching uh, to my mom and dad. The one... Uh, family member that was always difficult for me to preach to was my father-in-law. Um, Miriam's dad, his name was Siegfried Schatzman. Siegfried Samuel Schatzman from, from Switzerland. They, he's, there are a lot of S's there. And uh, uh, Siggy was really, really smart. He spoke six languages. Um, he taught in the seminary. He taught uh, theological Greek. Um, his hobby, and I know some of you have this same hobby, uh, his hobby was translating theological German into English. Don't how many how many do that? Yeah, how many know what theological German is? You know, it's like we don't even know what it is. He would take these stodgy old books written by guys uh, German theologians, uh, and and he would translate them into English so people that speak English couldn't understand it either. I mean, that's kind of what he did. That was his deal. When he came to church, uh, I carry my Bible. It's English. Uh, he, he carried his Greek New Testament to church. Um, really intimidating, just to be honest with you. Because when your father-in-law is in your field, really intimidating. So I remember one time, and just time out just for a second. He never made me feel belittled. He never did that. I was, I was nervous about it, but he never did anything to cause me to be nervous. I mean, he didn't do it intentionally. He just wanted, in fact, he was very complimentary and always nice to me. But I was always a little nervous about it, just honestly. And so one time, we had just gotten married, and, and Siggy's driving, and I'm in the front seat. And he's talking about 
you know, Mathean primacy or canological something or other. And, you know, he's using these words, and I appreciate the fact he gave me the benefit of the doubt. I, I knew what he was talking about. I, I was lost as a goose in a snowstorm. I had no idea. He's talking to me about this stuff. And so after about 10 minutes of this conversation where I nodded my head a lot and said yes, um, uh, I said, Siggy, um, I know what you're talking about. But I'm afraid Miriam isn't keeping up. Uh, could you explain it uh, so she could under, you know, it's like, that, was, that was my experience uh, t- teaching and preaching to my people. Um, I, I had a little church in Kentucky one time. <laughs> this is how backward we are. Uh, I had a church, and I'd never been there before, but they asked me to come be kind of an interim pastor. So I was an interim pastor. I found out as an interim pastor, I had nine cousins uh, in that congregation of 12 people. Uh, so everybody is a cousin in Kentucky. That's kind of how it was. So uh, having the opportunity to preach to your people sometimes happens to you. Well, Jesus goes and he preaches. And the way he handles this particular event shows us kind of a model for what do you do when you're rejected? Well, the first thing is you have to understand there's something called approval addiction and that's when you worry about everybody liking you and we live in a social media era where this is really uh, easy to fall into because everybody will comment about everything Um, you post something on facebook it could be as innocent as anything in the world you might not mean anything by it but somebody will take offense or might take offense and they write on your wall or whatever they do and they, or you post something on Twitter, you tweet something and then somebody takes offense and everybody's offended. And, and if we live in an era, I, just to be honest with you, um, I hardly ever put anything on anything because I'm just afraid somebody will be offended. And I don't want to live with that. I don't want to have to deal with all that stuff. And people are easily offended and we live in an era where um, criticism is just like everywhere. And if that bothers you, then it really will get you off task. One thing about Jesus is he never got off task. And so uh, his mission was to uh, share the good news with all people. That was his job. His mission was to go to the cross and to take our sins upon himself so that we don't have to. That was his mission. And if you recall, he told his boys one time, he's kind of meeting with his disciples, hey, I'm about to go uh, to Jerusalem, they're going to crucify me three days later, I'm going to rise again, I just wanted to give you a heads up on this. And Simon Peter pulled him aside and criticized him, it said rebuked him, the word is rebuked in scripture, pulled him aside and he said, "Uh, Lord, let's not do that, let's do it this way. (laughs) Now, if Jesus had cared more about what his friend said than what his father said, he would have said, oh yeah, Peter, let's do it another way. Instead, he said, listen, Peter, you don't have in mind the things of God. You have in mind the things of you. You're thinking about yourself. And this isn't going to be fun for me, but I'm going to do, I'm going to do what God tells me to do. I'm going to be obedient to the mission. Now, this is American Idol the way it used to be. Y'all, anybody remember this? Randy and Paula and Simon. And you recall the premise of the show. You've probably watched it. I haven't watched it probably since these were the, uh, were the, the hosts. They have new people now, I think. Uh, Lionel Richie is on there now. Um, say you, say me. Uh, and um, there are other people. I don't know. Uh, some, some lady and then another guy. Anyway, um, kind of the same setup. But, but I remember this, this group. And you'd come in and you'd audition and the show was great early because they'd get these people that were horrible. And some, somebody's mama told them they could sing and they couldn't. They'd come in and they'd sing. And, and then you'd have this panel judge. That was a whole show. That's a whole show. It's still a show, I think. 
And so uh, Randy would always say, it seemed a little pitchy, dog, you know, something like that. And Paula would love everybody. Uh, it could be two cats fighting, and she'd like it. And then what really mattered was, what did Simon say? Because Randy, it was okay. We kind of cared. And we kind of cared about Paula, but we really cared about Simon. It's called the generalized other. The generalized other. That is this notion that there's some people in your life whose opinion is more important than others. And we have that. Um, Not every opinion is the same. And so uh, my wife's opinion means more to me than other people's opinion. Uh, Elise's opinion, my my daughter's opinion, means more to me than some other people's opinion. And so uh, if Elise says something to me or one of my girls says something to me, I listen because they're the ones that have the most sway over me. Most of us have somebody in our life that has sway over us. Not every opinion is equal. And so if, uh, if I get out of my car, let's say I'm, I take it to the oil change place, uh, I don't particularly care if the guy who gets in my car to drive it on the rack to change the oil uh, doesn't appreciate the fact that I have 45 Big Mac cartons in there. I, you know, I, he could say something to me. Hey, you like a lot of Big Macs? It's like, yeah, I do. Uh, yeah, you know, it doesn't matter to me. But now if, if Miriam gets in the car and she says, um, uh, hey, Pillsbury Doughboy, uh, you might want to lay off uh, all of the uh, Big Macs or whatever, quarter pounders. Okay, now it has a different ring to it. Now it's different. There is somebody, there are some people's opinions that mean more to us than others. Not every opinion is equal. Now, here's what you have to look out for. If I start treating every opinion as equal, if somebody snipes me on Facebook or something, uh, if somebody uh, says something mean to me, I don't even know them, but they're going to say something mean to me or, or just a look or you're driving and somebody blows the horn at you. Anybody ever get offended by that? Because that's offensive. Uh, don't blow at me. Uh, you know, we, we kind of think that way. You understand, don't you, there's somebody in a car that you don't know blowing the horn at you, uh, and that opinion now has really affected your life. Have you ever thought about it that way? Um, Yesterday, I'm driving back from uh, Augusta, and I'm I'm driving, and I'm some guy slow in the left lane. Do you you all pray about that? I I pray their tires go flat. Is that bad? Uh, Going slow in the left lane, and I'm about to pass, and the guy starts oozing over. Oozing is the right word. Uh, starts oozing over, and I tapped the horn. And by tapped, I mean laid on it for 15 seconds. Uh, uh, I kind of blew at him because I didn't want him to come in my lane. And as I got beside him, he blew his horn at me. It's like, well, you're the one drifting, buddy. Elise is in the car. Got to control myself. Got to preach the next day. I'm going home. You know, I've got to pre- I'm preaching on criticism, and I get criticized by a chump sliding into my lane. You know, it's kind of... So, I said to Elise, she's not in here, right? Great. This is how I'm going to tell the story. Uh, The way I remember it, uh, I said to Elise, um, I just blew at him because he was coming in my lane. I needed him to get back over. But we let that stuff really affect us if we're not careful. Not not every opinion is equal. The, The other thing that we need to really watch out for is if these negative or sometimes critical opinions of us if they cause us to get really mad, you got to watch yourself. Am I getting mad just because somebody says something I don't like? If somebody says something to me that I don't like, I don't have to be mad about that. 
I, I, I can choose to. I don't have to be. Uh, when I was a pastor in Bergen, my, my little church in Kentucky, wasn't a bit, very big church, maybe a couple hundred people. And uh, I was preaching, and that was back in the day where you'd preach, and then you'd stand at the door, and everybody walking out would shake your hand. That was always kind of the way we did it. And I, I preached one time, and, and this guy was a little better dressed than our normal clientele. Uh, he, came, he came to the door, and he shook my hand, and he said, we usually go to First Baptist Church, but today we came here. And I was like, mm-hmm, that's right. You know, I was like, going to steal me a First Baptist person. I was so happy. Now, that was when I was carnal, not as spiritual as I am now. But uh, I was like, oh, my word, yes, a First Baptist person. You, you, uh, it's going to be great. So I was kind of, I was just glad handing everybody after that. I was pretty happy, you know, it was kind of just one of those good days. And he handed me his card, and I stuffed it in, you know, my pocket, my shirt pocket. And I got home, I had lunch, and I pulled the card out. And, it's, and he, gave me a, he gave me his name, and it said, Speech Instructor. Now, what a jerk. I mean, it was like, he, he wasn't coming over to my side. He was wanting to help me, and he was being a little bit critical. And, and he, Here's what I like about Jesus. This is his response to being criticized. He passed right through the crowd, and he went on his way. Now, listen, if they're pushing you to the cliff, I'm, I'm going to Jason Bourne me some people. I, I'm going to tell you, I've watched all those movies, Jason Statham. I know, I know all that stuff. I know it all. I, I can do it. I can do that. I, I got it all. I watched them all. I mess you up, man. Uh, so, uh, not Jesus. Jesus didn't even say anything. Because the criticism wasn't real. It wasn't accurate. They were, they were saying he... He isn't worthy to be a rabbi. Well, Jesus knew that wasn't true, so he just left. What a great way to live life. It wasn't accurate, so he just split. So sometimes, what if somebody's critical of you and you just let it go? Uh, One time we were, as a church, um, I pastored in, I'll tell you a lot of my pastor stories today. Uh, I was a pastor of a church in New Mexico. We needed a new music guy. The guy we had had quit, and so we were looking for uh, someone, and we had gotten some resumes, collected them from, I don't remember the source particularly, maybe 30 or 40, and you understand how this works. You can't hire everybody. And so you look through these, and then you pick three or four that you think might be a good fit for your church. And the others, what we were doing was, I was just sending them a little bit of a thank you for applying. I wanted you to know it got here um, but we didn't choose to pick you. That's all, that's all it was. You know, we, we've gone, we're going another direction. That's always a really kind of nice way of saying, you're not the one for us. And that's, all, that's all what I did. I sent, I sent, these, sent these out. I, I might have sent 50 of them out. Best I can remember, there's a lot of people that had applied, and, and so we had sent a lot of these letters out. Well, this one guy decides to send me an email, and it is scathing. Um, how could you not consider me? How can you tell who I am just by looking at a resume? Uh, you, you know, <laughs> your breath stinks. I mean, stuff like that. It was like he was just—he was just hammering me on this on this email. Now, he wasn't a good fit. It wasn't going to work for us. But he really didn't handle it well. Now, what I should have done is what Jesus did. I should have deleted and been done with it because really 
I'm never going to see that guy. I don't remember who that guy was. I was never going to see him again. He lived a long way away. It really didn't matter. And if he moved next door, it wouldn't have mattered because that's his opinion, and it wasn't right. But in my infinite stupid wisdom, I decided I was going to fire off an email back to him. It's like, well, this is why nobody's going to hire you because you're a jerk. And I sent it, and it was stupid because my opinion really didn't matter to him, and all I showed him was his opinion did matter to me. So, you don't always win by saying something. Jesus had this ability. Yes, people were critical of him, and he walked away. And maybe some of us in the room today need to know, people are going to be critical of you, and sometimes the best thing to do is you just walk away. Now, other times, it's going to bring me to point two, you have to consider the criticism honestly. Everybody needs somebody in their life to tell them the truth. Everybody needs somebody to tell you the truth. That, that, will, that will give you an honest critique. That will say, right now you're not quite measuring up. As parents, we do that for our kids. Hey, there's some stuff you need to work on. We do that all the time. We've always done that with our kids. Hey, here's some stuff you can work on. And so our older daughters, we don't get to do it as much. So they're they're kind of on their own now. But we have a 13-year-old at the house, and we kind of tell her, hey, here's some things you can work on. Let's, let's do this. Let's, make this. let's be better. Be better. Let's be a better you. Everybody needs somebody that will tell them the truth. For me, a long time, for a long time, it was my dad. And even after I had gotten out of the house, daddy would, would say stuff to me. Hey, here's some stuff I've noticed. Now, here's why it meant something to me when my dad critiqued me. I knew he had my best interest at heart, and he wanted me to succeed. So I listened to it. But sometimes I've had critiques from people that really weren't on my side, but it was still right. It, it was still true. Not, not every criticism is whack. Not every criticism is, should be just discarded out of hand. Sometimes people will tell you the truth. God can use anybody he wants to to tell you the truth. And so... Sometimes you just kind of have to watch and see if what they're saying is true. There was a guy by the name of Joel Meek. He went to a roadside stand, something like this, and he was going to get you know, some fruits and vegetables and that kind of thing, and that's why it was set up there. And So he had gathered the things he wanted to buy together, and he was looking to pay, and he found the girl who was running the stand, and she was kind of behind the stand, and she was making a new sign for out front. And he said, what are you doing? She said, well, I'm making a new sign. Daddy didn't, my daddy didn't like the sign I had up. And she showed him the sign she had up. It said this. See, daddies are there for that kind of thing. We need people in our lives that will tell us the truth. Did y'all get that? I, I hope everybody got it. Local honey dates nuts. That's really not what you want. Uh, sometimes the critique is right. I bought a tree a couple of years ago from one of the big box stores and and uh, it started dropping leaves. like. So I was kind of annoyed by all that, and I thought, oh, it's, got, it's got some fungus or something on it. So um, the leaves were falling off this tree, and so I gathered up three or four of them, and I took them back to the place, and I'm thinking, these people don't know what they're doing, but I'm going to talk to somebody. And there happened to be some snotty-nosed kid back there working. And I said, can you tell me, looking at these leaves, what the problem is with my tree? And he said, yeah, dog, it's autumn. Uh, the leaves fall off in autumn. It's like, oh yeah, that's right. So s- sometimes the critique is right, and you have to understand, sometimes it's right. So when you're criticized, here's what you should do. Consider the source, consider the substance. Now, 
If the source is somebody that you trust, if the source is somebody that has your best interest at heart, the substance might be good. It doesn't necessarily mean it's good, but it might be. Um, but if they're not for you, that doesn't mean the substance isn't any good, but you have to kind of consider the source. Here's what we really, one of the basic truths in life is hurt people hurt people. And sometimes people are really critical because they've got a lot going on in their life. And they're upset and they're frustrated and things aren't going their way and they need to vent and they need to kind of vomit on other people and sometimes that happens. And sometimes the person they choose to kind of spew out on is you. And it's not mainly because of anything you've done It's just them. You have to kind of give people a pass sometimes. You you consider the source, and and maybe they're just, there's stuff in their life, and they're just not doing well right now. And you overlook it, because here's what you'd want for you. If you said something you didn't really mean, or you said something from a heart that's broken, and it really was hurtful, you'd want somebody to forgive you too. Because I don't know about you, but I've done that. Have you ever said something and it was out of your mouth and you would love to have caught it and brought it back in? Because I've done that. I, I said it from a, a moment of weakness or hurt. Well, other people do that too. So you consider the source, you consider the substance. What if it's real? What if it's true? What if I really do need to change something? Sometimes you do. The third thing is this. Uh, Jesus said, um, uh, I think I went too far. Yeah. Uh, Rejection happens to everybody. Everybody has it. Jesus had it. Um, Look at this text. This is one of the oddest texts in Scripture. Jesus was doing really well. Uh, People were following him. And it says, when Jesus' family heard what was happening, Jesus was gaining a following. They tried to take him away, saying he's out of his mind. Now, when your mama and your people start talking about like you're out of your mind, that's not a good sign. But think about the rejection that Jesus uh, encountered in his life. He's got a guy named Judas. He's in the twelve. He's one of his uh, disciples. He's one of his boys. He, he doesn't just reject him. He betrays him. Got a guy named Peter. Peter was one of his boys, one of his three closest friends, and Peter did not even knew him. That's called rejection. And then while Jesus is on the cross, he feels as if his heavenly Father has rejected him. Jesus called out on the cross in a loud voice and said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you rejected me? Well, there's a reason. Jesus withstood rejection so that we wouldn't have to. Look at this incredible text written in Isaiah. This is long before Jesus ever lived, but you can tell who he's talking about. He was despised, there's our word, and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deep grief. We turned our back on him and looked the other way. He was despised, and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried, and it was our sorrow that weighed him down. And he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. And he was beaten so we could be whole. And he was whipped so we could be healed. I just think those are beautiful words about a guy who took rejection so 
we wouldn't have to. Which brings me to my last point. You'll never be able to say that Jesus rejected you. Because Jesus will never reject you. Look at what he said one time. Those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never, what? I will never, what? Reject them. He'll never do it. Your mama, your boss, your friends, your spouse. You might have had rejection in your life. We all have. You'll never get it from Jesus. Let, Let me end with this illustration. This is a picture of Stanford University. It is incredibly difficult to get into Stanford, if you didn't know that. If you had an ambition to go to Stanford, uh, Palo Alto, California, uh, really hard to get in. Uh, your ACT score has to be, it, it has to be, a, the average ACT score is 35. Uh, the best score on an ACT is 36. <laughs> um, so you have to be nearly perfect. The average uh, SAT is 1520. The best you can do is 1600. Your, the average GPA is 4.18 on a four-point scale, which means not only do you have to make a 4.0, then you have to do extra stuff. And then you have to have the right um, recommendations, and you have to have uh, sort of this uh, uh, hearty um, experience level. You have to have done lots of things. And then you might get in. 42,000 people on average a year apply. 2,000 are accepted. And then you get to pay $60,000 a year if they let you in. Think about that. Really, 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 really hard to get into Stanford. You have to know people. You have to be uber smart. <laughs> and you have to work really, really hard. So, so what do you have to do to be accepted by Jesus? This is a verse we looked at last week. It's just so good. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I'll give you rest. <laughs> I mean, a good grief. There's no mention of ACT, SAT, uh, a hearty uh, resume of things that you've done. There's nothing about you have to have the right recommendations. Jesus just says, if you're weary and heavy burdens, I won't reject you. There's some people that are trying to keep you out. Jesus is trying to get you in. Lord, I thank you for the truth that you will never reject us. The truth that you've done all you could to make sure we were acceptable to God. Lord, you've done everything in your power to bring us to yourself. And though others might have rejected us in our lives, you never will. Thank you for that. We we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.